Howdy everyone, Jeremy here. We've got an exciting episode of Taxpayer Talks for you today. We talk about our recent interview with outgoing Republican State Representative Jeff Kasin. We talk about the tone-deaf Biden administration and hypocrisy of those in the corporate media in reaction to the alleged quid pro quo that the Biden administration engaged in with the Saudi government in relation to oil prices before the November election. And then we also discuss the current political culture of spending at all levels of government. Stay tuned. Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, and it's only made possible from generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Good evening and welcome to Taxpayer Talks, the podcast where we hold Austin accountable by keeping taxpayers up to date with news that affects their wallets. My name is Tim Harden, president of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. I'm here with our executive director, Jeremy Kitchen. How are you doing today, Jeremy? Doing okay, man. How are you? I'm doing good, man. It's been a really busy week. Uh, We spent a lot of time, you and I both, uh, speaking. We've been at True Texas Project multiple times, kind of going over our Texas prosperity plan and uh, what our legislative priorities for the session. It's been a lot of fun. Talked to a lot of grassroots folks. I'm sure you've had the same experience, right? Yeah, I mean, people are fired up, right? Property taxes and inflation are the things that that I'm at least hearing about when we go talk. And uh, people are fired up. They're angry. And, you know, I mean, what the quickest way to get people angry is to impact their wallets, right? Yeah, yeah. I was actually surprised uh, on uh, Tuesday night. I was in Denton and there was about nine panelists. And uh, after after, uh, we, we talked, there was a number of different questions. Uh, and usually when we, we talk, I'm always, you know, I think, you know, guns and pro-life issues, those are um, those are more appealing to people. But of the like 15 questions asked, almost 10 of them came our way. And so it just shows that people are very worked up about property taxes and that economic and fiscal issues are at the very, very top of voters' minds. So uh, it's exciting. It's exciting for us. And we, we, we hope we, we see some reforms this session, right? I mean, all the polling, right? correlates with that that feeling as well so it's yeah let's let's hope that that translates to reform awesome awesome well hey let's get into it we uh, we actually had uh, a special guest uh, jeff Kaysen, who is a newly minted tfr board member he's a taxpayer champion uh, and we have a bonus episode that we'll talk about here in a little bit but we wanted to show a few clips of our interaction with him today uh so let's get into those clips jeremy let's show the first one so one ask your opinion about about property taxes and just your general thoughts on that but also uh, I wanted to hear your your story behind the scenes, specifically in the legislature, what the feelings were uh, kind of, you know, behind the curtain uh, and how realistic something like eliminating property taxes is with the current people we have in there. What are, what are your thoughts there? Well, Tim, I have I have two words. Property tax is theft. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That's a Joe Biden reference, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I couldn't I couldn't resist. But I do believe in my heart of hearts that property tax is theft. Uh, we've we've had some people a lot smarter than me do studies at TPPF, Texas Public Policy Foundation. And uh, there's there's a number of papers out there 
that uh, talk about a transitioning away from property tax and how it can be accomplished uh, in, in, in a suitable manner um, for our, our whole state, for education and, and, you know, the things that we have to finance. The feeling um, in general that I got was that not too many people really um, embraced the idea of getting serious about moving away from property tax uh, at all. And most people understand, and if not, maybe after this, this session, they will. Um, property tax is theft. And as long as you have to pay the government a tax on your property to stay in your home, you truly will never own your property. You will be a tenant, a renter from the government in perpetuity. And if you don't pay those tax, you'll find yourself at auction on the courthouse steps with your property being the item that's being auctioned. It's just that simple. We have a $27 billion surplus going into the 88th session. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't have the sense that there's too many legislators on the Republican side of the aisle that are, are very serious at all about moving this initiative forward. Well, he said it, right? Property tax is theft. And so it's interesting hearing a, a, a at least a current sitting, you know, lawmaker say those things. Um, you know, obviously he talked about the prospects for uh, property tax elimination um, uh, or, or whether or not lawmakers, current lawmakers are talking about it in a realistic way. And it's interesting his thoughts on that because we certainly get that feeling, right? Like depending on whether we directly or indirectly engage with lawmakers or constituents of these lawmakers around the state, there is that feeling, right, of doubt. Um, we wrote an article a few weeks ago about this, right? Where's, there, there's definitely this you know, based on the track record of lawmakers previously, will they be taking this issue seriously as, you know, Texans property tax burdens continue to grow? Um, it's, it's a yet to be seen. Obviously, there are a lot of lawmakers talking about it, but we don't know whether or not that's because we're in campaign season or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting to hear the perspective of a, a legislator, you know, both of you and I both spent what, like seven, eight years in that building. And so I think we have a little more experience than probably the average taxpayer. But nevertheless, we were not elected officials and we didn't go into the backroom meetings like they did. And so to hear him echo the sentiment of voters and taxpayers was refreshing. Uh, and his honesty was refreshing. And, and Jeff even has, you know, the expertise of being on a city council as well. And so he's been at multiple levels of government. And so he's just an awesome resource. I think uh, we share uh, the same skepticism, you know, and it's based on um, the history of what has occurred. You know, the fact that taxpayers have been screaming, please give us property tax relief for over a decade or more. And we have yet to see anybody's property tax bills go down. And so we always remain cautiously optimistic. We're very encouraged by Abbott saying that he his goal is to eliminate school property taxes. And so we take everything politicians say with a grain of salt, but that doesn't mean we have to have a defeatist attitude or give up on the hope that we can actually own our homes one day. And so I'm very hopeful that Abbott will add this in the state of the state address to his legislative priorities. And we're hoping both chambers do the same and we can make some really good progress on property taxes go around. But it's going to take uh, it's going to take taxpayers and voters speaking up and demanding and holding lawmakers accountable. And of course, that's one of the main reasons why 
uh, we're here is to help them do that, right? One, you know, it's interesting. Like one of the reasons property taxes continue to grow is because spending is out of control, right? The state and local level. And of course we got, you know, uh, representative Kaysen's take on that as well. Having, as you talked about, been a former Bedford city councilman. Uh, so let's, let's, let's see that. Clip. At the end of the day, uh, I, I find that these cities love to have slush funds. They love to have their little funds here and little funds there of surplus. And and whenever you have a surplus, in the case of $27 billion, that money should go back to the taxpayers. Uh, and, and, you know, when I see people like our lieutenant governor, or our governor talking about, well, we'll, we'll, you know, apply $11 billion towards property tax or $17 billion towards property tax. Well, you know, is is it their personal candy dish to do with as they please? At the end of the day, the government doesn't produce anything. They don't generate revenue They, they because of manufacturing or turning a profit. They consume. And I, I know it sounds ugly, but I always say it's like cancer. They just consume everything they get their hands on. And um, there's an insatiable desire at, at, at all levels, county, city, you name it, school districts, to keep spending other people's money. I call it people being high on opium, OPM, other people's money. <laughs> and it's, and it, at the end of the day, it's wrong. Well, high on OPM. At first I thought he said opium. And then of course he had the joke of other people's money as the acronym, which I thought was apropos uh, when it comes to, as we see all the time, right? Runaway spending at the local, state and federal level. And, you know, frankly, it's, it's going to take taxpayers, right? Voters getting involved in this process to just say, stop, right? Stand in the gap and just say, I need you to tell me why, right? We necessitate all of this government spending. Why do we keep passing bonds, right? Why do we keep doing this sort of thing? We're, we're just spending future prosperity away. Yeah, we. there's so many problems with budgeting in Texas, you know, not only the state, but at the local level. And I think, you know, having many conversations with Jeff and other people who have been involved in local government, uh, and even, you know, people who are involved in our state budgetary process, there is this mentality with state agencies or local political subdivisions that if we don't spend it, we lose it. And you know what? That's actually true. Uh, that is the way that our budget works now. And so we see lots and lots of local uh, political subdivisions, whether they be cities or counties or ISDs, when it comes to the end of the fiscal year, they start blowing through cash like nobody's business in order to justify more money because government is not a, a for-profit business. So uh, they have to spend it if they want more money. They're not producing widgets. Uh, they're not held to the same standards that a private business would. And so that is the only way they can get more money is by wasting money and then saying, we desperately need more, even though they've probably bought millions and millions of dollars of stuff they do not need. I know in my experience, transportation works like this. Education certainly works like this. Uh, even, even our water system works like this. Almost every facet of government uh, works like this. And, you know, we've, we've brought up things like zero-based budgeting, and there's, you know, there's critiques on whether or not that would work or not. I think it would be a good reform. I don't know if it would fix the entire system. But one thing we have to acknowledge is that budgeting in general and how we fund our governments is broken, and it needs reform badly, which is one of the reasons we've 
introduced the idea of a frozen budget, right? Uh, to give us time to to reorganize and to redo the way we do the budget and then deal with things like, of course, property taxes and the elimination of them. So I uh, was definitely encouraged, encouraged yeah. by that. Wait, look, we appreciate having Representative Kaysen on. Obviously, he's an outgoing state representative. He's a new addition uh, to our own board of directors here at Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. Um, of course, that episode, that special episode, make sure you check out, goes live on Friday morning. Uh, you can find the video podcast, obviously, and then the audio podcast on both Spotify and Google Podcasts. Um, at that time. So check that out. And of course, he's the host of his own podcast. Not a lot of people know that called Backroom Access, uh, where he takes you behind the curtain, if you will. He talks about that, obviously, in our interview, but behind the curtain um, to kind of talk through issues and his perspective as a lawmaker, right, on things that were maybe outside the public's purview on some of that stuff. So make sure to check that out as well. Um, I guess we should go ahead and get into the news. Yeah, yeah. So I I wrote an article uh, this week based on uh, yet another uh, supposed quid pro quo, and I called it a quid pro Joe uh, for Mr. Joe Biden. And uh, essentially, uh, the gist of the article is uh, the Saudi government uh, basically came out and said that the Biden administration reached out to them and was requesting that they don't ramp down oil production until a month later. And so the insinuation was, hey, listen, we need to get past midterms. Gas prices are absolutely killing the Democrats right now. It's probably the number one issue. And so this is not the first time uh, that he has been accused of that. Of course, there's the uh, the Hunter Biden laptop business, uh, the fact that Hunter uh, worked for an energy company in the Ukraine. And surprise, surprise, we're in a war with the Ukraine, even if it's a proxy war, right? But uh, ultimately, we're giving them billions and billions of dollars uh, and weapons. And there's just a lot of entanglements uh, and really conflicts of interest uh, with the Biden administration. And so it'll be interesting to see if Republicans take the House and the Senate, you know, is impeachment on the table. But nevertheless, I think, you know, if if indeed, you know, what the Saudi government saying is true, um, it is that is absolutely a and, and that is absolutely him using gas prices and the private market to uh, to help Democrats out in the election. And that's it's unethical. Yeah, I mean, you have to wonder, right, if it was a different political party doing this, whether or not the reaction would be the same or whether or not corporate media types and stuff uh, would not be ignoring it uh, in the same way that they currently are. I mean, yeah, it's it's absolutely insane to me that you have the the leader, right, of, of our country doing something like this. Um, I think, sadly, it's kind of become, as our politic uh, changes it's become kind of par for the course but man like voters should just demand better you know it's uh we're we're, we're reeling from all sorts of increases in costs of stuff but this is the wrong way to go about doing this for sure and you just have to wonder if, if if the shoe was on the other foot the other party was involved whether or not the reaction would be the same yeah i think it's it's really telling that i believe wednesday morning uh, they announced that Joe Biden will be draining our strategic oil reserves even further. For those who haven't been keeping up with that, he has been selling off and draining the strategic oil reserves. We're already at historic lows in our strategic oil reserve. And I would argue because of the elections, because the Saudi government said, no, we're not going to do that. And obviously gas prices are going up. This is an act of desperation. And he is going to be pouring out more of our strategic oil reserves, which ultimately is probably going to end in calamity. Uh, I think that he is not thinking any further uh, than next month. 
just trying to get past the elections, uh, but ultimately by draining them as far as we have drained them, it's going to be really bad news probably next year for oil prices. I expect to see gas prices at new historic highs. Uh, I think California's at seven. We're what floating around three something in, in Texas right now. I would not be surprised to see five dollar gas in Texas next year uh, because it's just it's simply supply and demand, you know. Well, it's 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 weird too, right? Like one of the things that has to be brought up, right, when it comes to this sort of thing is just onerous regulation, right? Or like the the inability to to do something, right? Like right when he came into the office, right when he came into office, right? It was, oh, well, we're going to put a stop to things like the Keystone XL pipeline, right? Or we're going to increase all this red tape and regulation on literally the the largest like you know the just how we do energy in the united states and all for this kind of this fantasy if you will uh to appease the far left that absolutely weighs into this calculation and we are absolutely feeling the effect of that sort of thing right now it's it's hard for me to understand you know when you see you know leftist pundits talk and you see things like when stacy abrams came out and said that you know gas prices are high because you have kids um, and just all the, the crazy things that the, you can't just open your eyes and realize that this is a direct result of our energy policy and a direct result of trying to shut down carbon emissions and new Green Deal thinking. Um, the, the fact is, listen, when you cut off the Keystone Pipeline, when you drain our strategic oil reserves, that means that there's less oil going around. And when there is higher demand but less supply, the supply prices are going to skyrocket. It's just it's just an economic fact, and I don't understand how people do not get that. Um, but I think they're starting to get that right. I think we're starting to correlate the high prices with the Biden administration. And uh, I think uh, I think you showed me a tweet right uh, that showed more tone deafness. You want to explain? What Good Lord, man. Like talk about being tone deaf, right? And so you've got this tweet. I'll I'll show it here. Like. Good Lord, man. This is this is the president, right, saying and probably a staffer, let's be honest, right? But saying most families are focused on putting three meals on the table, taking care of their kids and paying their bills. Helping you do that is my job. Well, if this is what we're calling help, please stop, right? You've got headline inflation being up 8.2% since last year, right? Your food grocery bills are up 13%. Energy's up almost 20%. Gasoline is up 18.2%. Utility gas up 33%. I mean, if this is help costing me more money, please stop. Yeah, you know, this this language is so 1984 in, in nature. You know, war is peace. What did he say? I saw him licking his ice cream cone the other day, and he's like, our economy's in the best shape ever. And it's like, clearly it's not. Like, clearly you know you're lying about this. And there, he's just hoping that, you know, this doublespeak, uh, that just, just straight up lying about the shape of the economy is going to deceive people. Sadly, I think it does deceive a lot of people who are not plugged in. But, you know, to your points... Every single thing that he said in that tweet has risen in large part because of uh, policies in the Biden administration. You know, you could probably blame the Fed and some other uh, factors as well. But for the most part, uh, food prices, supply shortages are a direct result of lockdowns and, and just bad economic policies from the Biden administration. And so it's just it's it's wild. Um, why don't we uh, why don't we move on? Uh, to uh, another article that I wrote this week. And so, you know, from time to time, we do explainers uh, and we like to explain a little more complex topics that some people might not be familiar with. And I, I found myself, you know, when speaking, I do a presentation on 
the free market, and I bring up uh, briefly bring up Keynesian economics, and of course that's juxtaposed with you know Austrian economics, which I'll probably write on soon. Uh, and we won't get into. I want to encourage y'all to go and read uh, the article because it's just kind of a. I try to do my best to break down what it is, where it came from, and its influence on our our government. So um, we're not going to get you know too into the weeds on on that, but uh, I do want to talk about how this impacts our fiscal policy. What, how do you see it impacting us in modern day America? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to go back decades, obviously, right? Like it's, this is not something that that's happened in a vacuum. It's not something that's happened overnight or under one administration, right? But the reality is, is that you have individuals, policymakers, you have elected leaders, right? That subscribe to whether it's the, the Keynesian economics or modern monetary theory, right? There are these kind of fiscal activists, if you will, that see what they dub as inequality in the world, right? Or, or anything else. And they are leveraging um, you know, the, the arms of power uh, to kind of bring us down this road of ridiculous spending, right, in whatever whatever way, but ridiculous spending. And then it, it basically all boils down to the, you know, whether you subscribe to the philosophy that government can save us from government. Right. Um, that's kind of what it comes down to, I, I think, at the end of the day. And obviously, you, you see a split in that thinking, not necessarily a partisan split, but more a philosophical split um, by folks. But certainly the modern monetary theorists, the people that subscribe uh, to what you explained in the article, right, the Keynesian economics and stuff, uh, they are they are bringing us down a path of potential ruin. Um, and, you know, for years, people have been sounding the alarm. Yeah, I think where we we see and and just to kind of explain the theory, essentially, it is government intervention is able to save the economy or stimulate the economy. And so, in times of recession or depression, um, you know, mainly our our we have you know, fiscal policy and then monetary policy. So we have you know fiscal policy, things like stimuluses and and giving people you know turning the money printer on, right? Uh, but we also have manipulation of of interest rates and everything we have going on now. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of culpability, right? We have the the federal legislature, but we also have mainly our central bank, right, to blame. The fact that we're on fiat currency, the fact that we just make up money out of thin air, that we moved away from objective value of the gold standard. Uh, there's there's a lot to this, and this has occurred over the last century, really, right? But we have seen it. Uh, and, and to your point, you know, we've seen, you know, kind of the uniparty. This, both parties are guilty. Bush was guilty of this. You know, Obama was guilty of this. Guess what? Trump was guilty of this, right? They printed 40% of our month supply in the COVID pandemic. And we are now experiencing the fallout from that. And of course, Biden is, is he, he printed money as well, right? They put out stimulus as well. And then you have subsidies, you have, uh, you know, the Fed buying assets. There's, there's, there's a lot to it. But essentially, in simplistic terms, it is the idea that the free market is too dumb to, to figure it out, that laissez-faire policy uh, does not work, and that the government must interject itself to solve problems that, as you correctly said, that they created, right? They created the problems, and then they come through with the solution that actually is not a solution. You might get some short-term benefits, which is what we see with, you know, the money printing and the stimulus. You Everyone gets a bunch of money, and it's like, hey, let's go buy TVs, this and that. And then flash forward a year later, inflation's at 9%. It's not going away. It's not transitory. And, uh, you know, there's this idea. Uh, I hear a lot of people, oh, I can't wait for inflation to go away, or I can't wait. It's not going to go away. Uh, it's not going to go away. Yes, inflation year over year might go down, but the prices of goods and services, for the most part, 
are going to stay at the levels they are, and they're going to continue to go up. This is why that you know you you listen to your grandfather talk, and he talks about you know buying buying a car for you know five thousand dollars, and now they're seventy five thousand. So this is a direct result of inflation, direct result of monetary policy. It is a horrible, horrible way to do economics. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why we're, what, 30, 31 trillion in debt as well? I mean, I think, I think you, you kind of alluded to it, right? But the best way I've ever heard this explained, right, is that we've adopted as a culture, a political culture, this idea of like short-term gain, if that's what you want to call it. And I would argue maybe only gain for some people. Yeah. Uh, by, by basically delaying the inevitable long-term pain, right? And that's spending away future prosperity, right? For future generations of not only Texans, but Americans um, at a ever-increasing cost. It's really shameful. Yeah, it, it's it's sad, you know, and we're very limited on what we can do on monetary policy from a state standpoint. Um, really, you know, you have, you know, like Ron Paul is very famous for uh, ending the Fed or auditing the Fed, which, by the way, has never been audited. Um, and so this it's 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 turned out to be a very hard thing to do, even if you're talking federal, you know, fiscal policy and things that they pass This is separate from having a central bank uh, and basically the banksters kind of getting to secretly deal with all the behind the scenes stuff. And we don't get to go in there and audit what they're doing. And certainly from the state level, we have very limited power. And so um, I think the best thing the state can do uh, is is what we've we endorsed in our prosperity plan, which is give people a break as we're dealing with this historic inflation. Give people a break on property taxes. Let's rein in our government, freeze it, and let's return the state government at least back to its originally intended level, which is very, very small, so small we can hardly see it. So well, it's 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 ultimately it's this weird dilemma, right? I mean, there's so many problems, but it's this weird political dilemma, right? Where you you can't actually be truthful in addressing these fiscal issues, whether it's you know ongoing deficits or our overall debt, without also addressing things like entitlement spending. And of course, yeah. you know, politicians know this, right? The 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 number one you know group of people that show up to vote right or engage in this sort of thing are the folks that generally benefit uh, from these entitlements and, um, and and what it's spent on and so it's this weird kind of circular thing that occurs and man it's uh it's hard not to be a cynic you know yeah i think one thing some encouragement you know we always like to encourage because you know most of the time in politics is bad news right um, but one thing we've seen on the state level and really on the national level with, you know, the grooming stuff or any of the stuff that's in, in your mainstream news is that the louder and more that taxpayers and voters speak up, the more politicians will get scared and will backtrack. And so we just want to encourage everybody, uh, don't be silent and don't be frustrated in silence, like get involved in politics, um, you know, interact with interest groups, uh, show up to the polls, go vote, obviously, interact with your state legislature. Um, this is how, this is the way that our system was designed. And so we, we have to get active. We can't just lay down uh, and let, let all these people destroy our country. So uh, there is there is an escape hatch, but it's going to involve us getting politically active. So. I think that's most of the time we have today. I think we have some, what we have election stuff and upcoming events. You want to talk about that, Jeremy? Sure. I mean, that was a good segue to say, look, you're the, the, the soonest you can get involved, right? You literally have a general election coming up. Um, just want to remind folks that um, at least here in Texas, right? If you have any questions voting related, you can go to voting or vote texas.gov uh, to find information. But early voting begins next week, October 24th. It ends November 4th. General election day, of course, is Tuesday, November 8th. 
faith. Um, and of course, we keep saying it, right? But we do have a free tool that can help uh, taxpayers here in Texas. Certainly, if you care about the, the how fiscally responsible uh, your state lawmaker is, you can use our Fiscal Responsibility Index free tool located at index.texastaxpayers.com. Um, of course, and it's uh, we've got data going back all the way to 2007 there. So make sure to check that out. Absolutely. So uh, that is it for uh, this week. Remember, we do have the bonus episode with Representative Kaysen coming out in the morning. Uh, and we will see you again next Thursday at 530. We appreciate you being with us. Y'all take care. For even more content, follow us on social media at Texas Taxpayers on Facebook and Instagram at Texas underscore taxpayers on Twitter. Subscribe to the Fiscal Note, our weekly email jam-packed full of information important to Texas taxpayers at texastaxpayers.com slash subscribe. And then make sure to check out our Texas Prosperity Plan, texastaxpayers.com slash TPP. Thanks. (laughs) 